Hello and welcome to Reverend Testimony brought to you by Netroots Radio, the political podcast by and for millennial and Gen Xer types from a left-wing perspective. It is Saturday, March 10th, 2018. I'm Travis. I'm Rachel. And uh, we're back after just a couple days when we did our little joint podcast with Will and Arliss from Hopping Mad Podcast and we talked all about tariffs in the economy and shitty dev messaging thereof. And uh, we're going to switch gears and talk about all the other shit that's going on now. Yeah. Where do you want to start? Uh, I guess we start with, well, okay. So before we started this podcast, I'm going to start on something that's normally reserved for shit that pisses Rachel off during the break. <laughs> but this was a pre-shit that uh, pisses off Rachel um, pre-podcast. So there's this. I don't know what you fucking call it, article in the New York Times about the most ignorant man in America. Huh. I don't read the New York Times anymore, so you'll have to enlighten me. Yeah. So uh, I picked it up from a friend of mine um, who posted it, and uh, the, the privilege is astounding. So this, this rich white guy um, was simply devastated after the election of Donald Trump. Just devastated. Oh. <clears throat> Decided that he didn't want to read the news anymore. Okay. And he didn't want to engage in the news anymore. Okay. It was just supposed to be for a couple days, and it turned into he hasn't paid attention for the, to this day, hasn't paid attention. He calls it, quote, the blockade. Well, can you back up and tell me, like, what does this guy do? Where is he from? What is what is sure. the story? He was a former executive at Nike. He also worked for Walmart and Disney. Um, he, uh, lives in, gosh, I want to say like Ohio or something. He lives on a pig farm at this point. (laughs) He decided he had enough money that he needed to just get away. And so he did. And he goes days without seeing anyone and must be nice. He goes to a local coffee shop in the morning, but they're all under strict orders not to talk about the news with him. Um, he's... So he's allowed he's allowed himself to create an insular world alternate reality yes. because he can afford to do so. Correct. Okay. Correct. He has some nice guy in San Francisco. He lives in Gloucester, Ohio. He has some guy in San Francisco who does his money and the guy sends him quarterly reports, which he throws away without looking at because why would you need to look at what your money's doing? You have so much <laughs> yeah, of it. I hope he's not getting cheated. Um, I hope he is. <laughs> Word. So the New York Times does this like fluff piece about it, oh, right? Of course, about yeah. how lovely it must yeah, be to not yeah, engage yeah. with the news and you know, his sister lives in Charlottesville. <laughs> oh yeah, so he didn't and even know. No. The huh? reporter says, Do you associate Charlottesville with anything other than your sister? And he's like, I don't know what you mean. He doesn't know about anything. Okay. Um, so he's not talking to his family then? No, he is. They are all under strict orders from him. To not speak about the news, to not talk about politics, all of his family well, and friends. Well, you would have thought his sister would be like, yeah, I know we're not supposed to talk about anything, but this shit just happened here yeah, in town. So, yeah, so you had a friend who was a recent immigrant post uh, the Trump election, and so she was really um, you know, intensely concerned about the immigration debate. And she she said, she, you know, I started needling him like, this is important, this is important, this is important. And he sent her a text message. At one point that said, let me just find it really quick. It's just, it's so fucking gross. 
Uh, he, oh, he listens to white noise at the coffee shop so that he doesn't have to overhear anything. The coffee shop owner says, quote, our baristas know where he's at, so they don't engage him on topics that might make him feel uncomfortable, said Angie Pyle, the coffee shop's co-owner. Mm-hmm. He's also trained his friends, a close friend from his Nike days, Paranaz Vahabajda. I'm going to I'm sorry that I probably mispronounced that. <laughs> yeah. Didn't think he was serious at first. And in the early days of the blockade, kept dropping little hints about politics. The new administration compelled her to engage more deeply in politics, not less. She had only recently become a United States citizen, and she was passionate about the immigration debate. She did not let Mr. Hagerman opt out easily. Quote, I was needling him, she said. And in response, she received, for the first time, a stern text message. Quote, I'm now officially cross with you. As you know very well, I don't wish to hear about current events. I know you don't agree with my wishes, but I do expect you to respect them. Okay. So they write this fluff piece about how nice it must be and how he owns this land and he's going to turn it into a farm and it's going to be, it's, it's the height of fucking privilege. So a lot of columns like this, much like a book or a movie or a short story, has a central theme. And so th- I'm guessing the central theme of this one was like, we should all uh, like strive to do this. What's the point in reading the news really anyway? <laughs> well, not the New York Times. <laughs> That's really the point. I mean, what do you do with the news? They're sort of saying, what do you do with it? You just read it and it makes you miserable. Maybe we should all be more like Mr. Hagerman. Uh, Or it makes you active. Makes you active and engaged. And maybe things that don't directly affect you still fucking matter and you should still fucking care about them. Uh, While we're on the topic of the failing New York Times, um, somebody, (laughs) I think it was Slate, I only saw briefly this morning, did this piece of comparing like the last four or five op-eds by their resident conservative people like... David Brooks yeah. and Brett Stevens and whoever else. And they're like all the exact same story. Yeah, They're literally copying, pasting the same story every couple weeks. Right. And it's that the intolerant left at places like college campuses are, are stifling conservative voices. And don't these poor conservative voices, it's, isn't it so sad they don't have a safe space? And, and and the this intolerant left aren't they just really like a Nazi in a different thing because they're just so right, right. you know overbearing and no one can say anything anymore and these intolerant leftists is just really a problem and now now it's one thing if you want to barf up that op-ed you know once in a once in a while but like literally every two weeks they're copying and pasting the same article. It's, yeah, so written it's, by a different person with a different headline, but essentially it's, it's exactly the same thing it, it over is, and over. It is. It, it's almost like there's a directive to do this. Yeah. Like we uh, have to be we have to be fair, so you better write something about how awful the left is since Donald Trump's a fucking nightmare. It's lazy. It's the laziest journalism. And yeah. and uh, I'm, I'm starting to take on that moniker intolerant left, especially when I you want to talk about what we're intolerant of. We're intolerant of racism. Yes. We're intolerant of things like climate denial and rejection of science. Sexism. Sexism. <laughs> yeah. We are very intolerant. I of am those very intolerant of those things. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it, a it, thousand percent. If you want to have a debate with me on the economics of supply side trickle down versus not i'm happy to engage in that that's fine yep. i i we don't try to stifle them we disagree uh we don't and i think i'm right but so do they and sure. I'm, that's fine I, i'm not going to argue about whether or not you're allowed to say 
the Jews will not replace us carrying a torch <laughs> and marching through Charlottesville. I'm not right. Or that rape is okay. Or, yeah. You know, any of these things, uh, you know, if you want to talk to me that you think healthcare is better off just with un, un, unbridled free markets with no, uh, you know, uh, pre-existing uh, condition, whatever. Like, I I think you're insane, but I'll debate that with you. Yeah. And I'm not going to say this person should not be allowed to speak. Right. N- we, we don't do that. No. Nope. Okay. So. If you want to disagree on policy, that's one thing. Yes. But there's fundamental things we're not going to. That we are very much intolerant of. Yes. Yes. And sorry, we're not going to change. So if you want to call us the intolerant left, Fine. I'm, I'm happy to take on that moniker. Fine by me. I, I do not tolerate ignorance, hatred, racism, misogyny, rape culture. I'm not going to entertain it as though it's a valid position that just happens to disagree with mine. Right. It's not. Right. And this is more of this goalpost moving, right? Yes. Which, and the right tries to have it both ways. They They try to say... How dare you call us racists and rape apologists and all these horrible things that, yeah, these fringe people who say they identify with conservatism say, but how dare you lump us all in together? And then why are you stifling these voices? Yeah. So, no, you can't have it both ways. Either join with us and say the Milo Yiannopoulos and Ann Coulter's and Richard Spencer's are not welcome uh, to spout their bigotry. Their voice is not welcome. Uh, either you do that or you acknowledge that this is part of the conservative movement. Yep. I mean, pick if one, If those guys, are the conservative voices you one. want me to listen to, good luck. Yeah. And you can fucking own them then. You can have them. And, and you can and, own them and you can wear them like a fucking badge. And they're trying to extend that to say if David Brooks wanted to go give a talk at Georgetown that people would be picketing and Antifa oh, would show up. And no, 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 no. You're not that important, first of all. First Second, he doesn't like, agree with that, but <laughs> you, you're you're a gross, garbage, gross conservative white man with entitlement issues. But we're not trying to gag you and shut you up. We'll point and laugh and say you're an idiot. But that's our free speech right too. Mm-hmm. But no, we're not going to protest and show up with no. signs. No. Uh, no, for David Brooks, you know we're not we're not going to do that for Richard Spencer, yeah. and Ann Coulter and Milo. And the like, yes, we will. And we will continue to do so. And when you continue to defend these people, then you're lumping yourself in with them. As a free speech thing, which it fucking isn't. Yeah. Uh, It's hate speech. Yes. Um, And it incites violence, as we have seen. Yes. And lives have been lost. Yes. So it's not a First Amendment issue. And it's not... I. If I were a conservative, I wouldn't want this to be a conservative issue that I wanted to talk about. Well, that's about. that's the thing that keeps driving me crazy is that, again, it's this double standard <laughs> thing. Do you want to re- join us and reject these people, which we're glad to do? We've done do, for decades. Or do you want to tacitly give them cover? And you're, you're seeming to choose the latter. And so stop accusing us of com- conflating extremism with conservatism because that's what you're doing. You're doing it. Right, right. So I'm not saying that conservatives are um, are the same as Richard Spencer, but you, they are saying yeah. that, that this person is one of us and you can't shut us up. Right. And I'm like, oh, he, oh, oh, are we there? Are we, are we saying that? Okay. I mean, yeah, and, that's and, what you're saying. I, I, that's up to you. And, and when places like uh, the Daily Caller and Breitbart have this very, very sordid history with these characters, 
and only very sort of reluctantly try to separate with them when they go too far. Um, and you still have uh, Republican politicians giving interviews at these outlets, then mm-hmm. again, that's that's not us making these connections with extremism, right wing extremism and the Republican Party. It's you guys. Yep. And if you do that, we're going to keep calling it out and you can cry about stifling free speech all you want. It, it is what it is. And it's plain to see. Yeah. So sorry. Yeah. Stop. You know. Either either call out the extremism for what it is, or admit you, that you like it and you are or you on board, it. or you tolerate it. Yep, you're on board. Yeah, it's end, fine with you. End of story. Yep. So that's us being very intolerant. Sorry. Yes. So moving on from that, uh, why don't we pivot to Stormy Daniels? Uh, yes. Yeah, we do need to talk about this. Not because I give a fuck where the president puts his dick. <laughs> he did put it and who he was married to. I don't care about that. But there's interesting things going on and, and they have some potential legal implications. Well, let, let me and, clarify that. I care when it's alleged he put his dick somewhere into somebody on that was unwilling or was underage. Cert- okay, or, of course. Or things like that. Certainly. None of which has been alleged but in the as, case as of for the porn Stormy stars, Daniels. who cares? Well, and I want to be really clear about this too. Just because she is a sex worker does not mean that... If it were unconsensual, that would be okay. Well, nobody's claiming. But no that. one's claiming it was yeah. unconsensual. Yeah. I'm not. No, trying... other women have. Yes. So, we but in this about particular that. case, she is not claiming anything unconsensual happened during the period of their affair. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, a uh, somebody on Twitter named Elizabeth McLaughlin, and I'm sorry, I don't know who this person is. If I should, but they just launched a very interesting tweet storm. Well, I guess it was. Almost 24 hours now, but this is the first time seeing it. Um, I'm just going to read it and then we'll discuss. Okay. She says, it just hit me. Trump isn't afraid of campaign finance violations with regard to Stormy. It's the prenup. Most prenups have a clause that makes them invalid for infidelity. That Uh. means Melania gets half of everything he owns. 130K is nothing compared to half of 3.1 billion, if he's really worth that much. Right. Reminder, this is a man who thinks he's above the law, ignores his lawyers, and needs women to fulfill his narcissistic supply. The likelihood that he would rationally refuse an infidelity clause, as opposed to signing off on one in 2005 with a what the fuck, she'll never try it, is nil. Okay, so it was just two tweets and not a storm, but um, interesting. Uh, Yeah. I would, my first gut reaction would be well if it was 2005 he's never really been called out for anything I was thinking he wouldn't have that in a prenup like he wouldn't be that careless but then this is Trump right she's never gonna find out Uh, she's not gonna try it I'll just well here's why I think bombard her with lawyers and do what I do to everybody well here's why I think she is never gonna try it Remember, she her immigration story and status and everything is very highly murky. It is. As with her parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially now in the age of the, the Republicans trying to get rid of what they call racistly chain migration, mm-hmm. which is really family migration. Yes. So I think he's got way too many cards to play to blackmail her in those aspects. I read the other day that she was allowed into the country on an quote, what they call an Einstein visa. Yes. Which is for people who are like exceptional in some field that could like, it's an easier way to get in because you have something exceptional to offer the United States in terms of brain power. Yes. 
And I'm, I don't know that that's not true, but I don't know what it would be. I don't see any evidence of her doing anything like that since she was, since she immigrated. Yes. Um, she was a model back home, um, which wouldn't be categorically accepted as a nine-sign visa. <laughs> you wouldn't think. Um, <clears throat> but getting back to Stormy Daniels, in case you guys don't know, uh, <coughs> the kind of update on that is that, um, so she signed this NDA, right, non-disclosure agreement, uh, back in October of 2016 before the election and was paid $130,000. Uh, she, so she couldn't talk about what was going on. Then she was pressured in January of 2017 to release that statement, remember? Yeah. Where she said, no, none of this nothing is true, happened, nothing yeah. happened, whatever. So she came out uh, last week and she's got a lawyer and they're suing um, Donald Trump. They filed their complaint and they're claiming that a couple of things happened. Number one, Trump never signed the NDA, which legally I'm going to explain doesn't actually matter because Cohen signed it, mm -hmm. his lawyer. But number two, that Michael Cohen's talking about the NDA violated the NDA. Ah. So him talking publicly about the, the NDA and the payment violates it and therefore it's not valid anymore yeah. so she has the right to come out and talk about this so yeah. she did and in the complaint which a complaint is a, a a filing a court filing that you do in a civil case that says that sort of details what your case is going to be for suing someone mm -hmm. and so it's juicy right in mm -hmm. this case it's not always obviously but in this case it has to detail all the reasons that you think you're valid to sue this person and what you're suing them for and why Right. And um, what we know ugh, from that is we're probably going to have to see presidential dick pics. <laughs> right. And which it was, is so horrifying to me the, that like I can't really wrap my head around how much I don't want that to happen. The funny, the funniest part is uh, that because of the legal jargon <laughs> that has, has, is known in the NDA as, quote, intellectual property. It is. <laughs> Described as text messages, images, images, audio or video recordings. So don't send any counterfeit Trump dick pics because you will be <laughs> you will be sued. So, OK, so the other really I'm going to get into a little bit of legalese here. So a couple of really interesting points from a legal standpoint of the suit and of the NDA. One is that he only paid her $130,000 to shut up, right? Mm -hmm. In the NDA, it says he can, she will be liable for $1 million for any breach of that NDA every time it happens. So if she talks about it one time, it's a million bucks. She talks about it, the exact same thing to someone else publicly, million bucks. So... The likelihood, I was listening to some legal scholars talk about this, the likelihood that a court would uphold that is pretty low because there's a standard with contracts that you can't just write a contract for anything. You can't say, uh, I mean, you can, right? You can write a contract that says, hey, Trav, I need you to cut your leg off and if you don't, I'm going to sue you for a million dollars and you sign it. Yeah. The, the judge can, the judge will come in and go, that's an unreasonable 
contractual thing. Yeah, like, yeah. that's not reasonable. And there's a lot of legal scholars that think that the $1 million breach of the confidentiality agreement versus the $130,000 payment is probably would be overturned by most judges, like, as, like, that's not reasonable, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the second interesting thing about it well, there's lots of interesting things about it other than presidential dick pics. Um, but that the, this notion that like because Trump didn't sign this document, that means it's not valid. That's not going to have standing. Right. Like his lawyer signed it. The, the deal was between the lawyer and her. Um, but the the legal like criminal part of this is going to be campaign finance. Right. So if Michael Cohen paid Stormy Daniels $130,000 out of his own pocket, which is what seems like what happened. Everybody was talking about, we and us included, we were talking about, well, did he get paid back and what, where did the money come from and all of that? The more interesting question is, if he paid her $130,000 in October of 2016 to not talk to the news to ensure that Donald Trump would be president, what would that be considered under campaign finance law? Right. A contribution. A contribution in kind. It's an in kind. Well, it is an in kind contribution. In kind means it's not a direct financial donation to the campaign. But I paid money to help you. So this happens all the time in local politics, right? Mm -hmm. I throw a fundraiser for you. I buy food. I buy booze. I rent out a space. I invite people. I I hire a live band. All of those things cost me money to do, right? I bought no. food, booze, band, and a space. Now, people compare this to, to John Edwards, and you were well, right. Well, hold on. Let me finish. Yeah. So when you throw a fundraiser, right, Though you can't pay money to do a fundraiser or to help that campaign without reporting it. Mm-hmm. And they call it an in-kind donation because I didn't give you the 300 bucks it cost me to hire you know, food, booze, whatever. But I paid it to help you win. Right. It seems very much to me that him paying Stormy Daniels is very similar. I paid $130,000 to help you win. I didn't give you $130,000, but I paid that amount of money for that specific reason. Mm-hmm. And if that's true and he didn't report it, that's a violation of federal election law. Right. Now, John Edwards, I was wrong. I thought John Edwards was convicted. He would never was convicted. Right. And they threw they threw out. I, I don't know. I don't remember the parameters of how and why. Obviously, his political career was destroyed <clears throat> yes. over all that. Yes. He uh, paid a million dollars, just let's, let's remember, to keep quiet that he had an affair which resulted in a child. And this was during the 2012, no, I'm sorry, 20, 2008, 2008, 2008 yeah. election, uh, primary, rather. Yeah. Um, he had had a, a child out of wedlock with his mistress while his oh, wife yeah, had cancer. Oh, yeah, he checked all the boxes. Yeah. Edwards did. Yep. And then he paid her a million dollars and other people, about a million dollars to keep it quiet. There was a, a a charge levied against him and it never went anywhere. Yeah. So most legal scholars think this probably won't go anywhere because... Well, it, it could go somewhere in terms of charges being filed or investigated at yeah. least. Yeah. I mean, but getting should. a conviction on these things is very difficult, very difficult, yeah. and very uncommon. Although, although, <laughs> although Cohen was so sloppy with this, mm-hmm. who knows? Mm-hmm. You want to talk about what we what has been revealed? Uh, we know that we're just starting to unwrap the fact that um, Cohen used Trump.org email while arranging yep. this payment yes, through this did. shell company. Yep. Yep. Um, NBC just uncovered an email that was sent from his bank. To Michael Cohen at Trump.com or whatever the fuck. Trump.org. Trump.org. Yeah. 
um, saying the funds have been transferred from this account ending in blah, 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 um, which he then forwarded to his personal email address and then using his personal email address forwarded to her attorney. <laughs> and he's like, I use that for all kinds of things, including correspondence with my kids. Does that mean that those are campaign contributions? You're like, that doesn't even make sense, dude. No, yeah. you're a lawyer. That's not what we're talking about. Uh, now there's there's also talk that Cohen may not have been barred in California. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I there's, God, there's so many threads to follow in this whole thing. It's hard to to know, and there's stuff breaking by the minute. So, uh, this is one of those things. Everybody said the Trump is Teflon. Nothing sticks. Some things do, and and I think reporters are finally starting to find their footing. I think the first year first entire year of the Trump presidency, there was so much shit that I think reporters were having a hard time just bloodhounding on one on, on anything. Yeah. Like they were just so distracted and they were trying to, okay, let's talk about this for a second then that. And so you didn't get to the heart of anything. Yeah. But now they're starting to dig on, on certain things. Yeah. Like the, uh, Porter thing, uh, which unfortunately has kind of gone by the wayside for a lot of other things, but they were really, really digging in on that. Mm -hmm. And that was causing way more headaches than the white house anticipated. And now it's stormy Daniels and they're not letting up. No, they're not letting up. And I, and I think with the, the, you know, every day there's more with the Trump Russia and Kushner and the UAE. And now this George Nader guy has popped up. Who's a, who got arrested for child porn back in the eighties. It's just, Oh, it is a, a, Big sorted web of garbage and crap. Yeah, that uh, we're gonna try to touch on as much as we can. Um, but but it is it is this weird phenomenon that there there is so much, there are so many scandals and so much shady crap going on. It, it is hard to focus on one thing. Well, it's unprecedented. Yeah, yeah. It's just, right. We, like they, we they just don't know how to are, cover. This. Nobody does. Nobody even knows how to process it. Like, and they can't wrap their head around the level of of grift and sliminess yeah. and incompetence in, in, in the presidency and people working in the White House who have no business being there. It's just it is so extensive and, and crazy and and where this all leads, it's just sort of mind boggling and it, it is almost beyond comprehension. It is. And it happens to the point where there's so much of it. And this is a phenomenon I've been arguing with Greg about a little bit on uh, Twitter, which I'll get to. Is that the other side at a certain point really does kind of just tune it out and be like, oh, here's another negative Trump story. I, I'm not even going to listen. Yeah. It's sort of like the pig farmer guy. Like, they're just going to tune out all the bad stuff and watch Fox News. Talk which about they, the Cleveland Cavaliers with his mom. That's all he does. Which they've generally been doing for a long time. But if it was one or two scandals or one scandal, like, they wouldn't be able to avoid it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. When there's this when it's din, mm-hmm. this cacophonous din of all this stuff. Like that can have a weird, ironic, insulating effect. It and I'm can. not the first one to talk about this, but no, and it, I can and I can feel it. It's fatigue. Yes, the fatigue happens, and um, I know my folks have some of this, and my old friend uh, who doesn't work for the for the same company that I work for anymore, she started to have it even last year, of just like I don't want to hear about it anymore. I don't care. Just get him out of there. Pence is fine. She voted <laughs> oh, for Trump, right? Yeah, I don't. I just I don't want to hear about it anymore. I don't hear more. I don't. And this was eight nine months ago. Yes, (laughs) I don't want to hear anymore. I'm done. I don't care. Like, but it's it's also I think that it's a reaction of um, guilt or shame or embarrassment that you voted for this person, and I just can't listen to all of the repercussions of that decision. 
I, it's too much emotionally to handle that I made that choice and that all of these horrible things are happening as a result of it. Right? Yes. Um, they won't admit that. And I don't even know if that's prescient in their, you know, brains, but that's, I think, part of it. Yeah. And there's there's been this debate. It was like Keith Olbermann and some other people are like, no, you have to follow up on all the leads because all the scandals are important. And while he's right... The, the human, the American public attention span is not great enough to do this. Even us political junkies, we get lost in the weeds. Yeah. I mean, there's so much. Yeah. And considering the trauma of the election and the trauma that we've all collectively kind of experienced. And I don't use that term lightly. I, I mean that. Um, it's a trauma that we've experienced. It also there's some self-protection that has to happen, right? But unlike this fucking pig farmer, we still do have to try. Well, let me this let me sort of pivot on this thought to a debate that our good friend Greg Dworkin and I have been having the last couple days on Twitter. Um, and it's usually Armando who gets to say when Greg is wrong, so I... <laughs> When I say I feel unqualified to say it, but uh, I think he's sort of wrong about anytime a really gross Trump thing comes out, story about, you know, whether it's Stormy Daniels or he said this horrible thing or he did this horrible thing, he tweets, and Republicans are okay with this. Um, well, that is, and, and, and this kind of goes back to the Roy Moore thing when the people say, oh, okay, he dated 14 year olds, whatever, that's fine, because whatever, Southern values, I don't know. But, my, the reason I, I sort of took issue with that is I, I, sort of, I started thinking of the people we know in our lives. Mm -hmm. And whenever a gross Trump story comes out that Trump, you know, ate a baby or, you know, wiggled his dick in front of the prime minister of yeah. you know, Cambodia or whatever, um, the reaction for the people we know isn't, well, that's OK. Their reaction is, no, that didn't happen. Right. So what I was trying to tell Greg was, you know, I think instead of Republicans being OK with it, most of them are just saying it's it's liberal media lies and it didn't happen. And he kind of said, no, nah, that's probably the, the, the vast minority. I think most of them realize or know it's true and they just they just say it's OK. And I'm like, eh, I don't know. Like I'm thinking of the people in yeah. our lives that we talk to. <laughs> are probably yeah. fairly representative of most well, people. The interesting thing, I, I I think you're both right and you're both wrong. <laughs> I do. Perfect. I, in some ways. That's covering all the bases. I do. Um, I think, so when Roy Moore happened, right, uh, when I would talk to my dad about it, which only well, happened once. I wasn't going to name names, but okay. Uh, before the election... He was like, you know, well, whatever, and it's fine, and blah, right? <laughs> yeah. Just like, they don't want to talk about it, basically. Like, I don't want to address this thing. Right. And on election night, after Doug Jones had won, he sent me a text, and he said, you're going to want to sit down for this. But I'm really glad that Roy Moore lost, because I think he's a garbage person, and he gets that from me saying that. I think he's a garbage person, and I think... He's awful, and I'm glad he lost, and I'm I'm happy for the country that he didn't win. Yeah, and it was a little weird, and it was really weird. And then he, he didn't started admit that before. No, which is that's why I think you're both right and you're both wrong. 
It's like so you he, think he was knew, like hedging his bets. It's like he didn't want to admit if his party elected this man, he was going to have to figure out a way to be OK with it. Exactly. And as soon as he did, as they, as they didn't elect this man, as soon as this man was not going to be in Congress, he was free to He exhale. was relieved. Yeah. And he was able to say, holy fuck, I'm glad we didn't elect that guy. <laughs> Jesus Christ, what's happened to my party? He didn't say those words exactly, but that's how it felt to me. So if Roy Moore had won and you had texted him the next day and been like, okay, Republicans have a literal pedophile in Congress, what do you think? Then he would have been, oh, liberal media lies, blah, blah, yeah. blah. Yeah, yeah. And then he would have just denied it. <sighs> okay. Like he knew... And then he would have gone into a sense of denial, I think. Okay, that, that's kind of what how Greg sees it. And I, I think that's true for him. I don't know about for everybody, but for him, it's like, and I, I that's my only oh, example of that. Oh, I know it's true for that. congressional Republicans. Like my only example of that is that really specific situation where I got that text and it was like, thank God. Thank God. Like, I'm really glad. Because we had this conversation about, like, this happened to me. Remember when I was 18 and this fucking old guy did this thing and all the things. And he knew about that. And he was like, that's Well, well that's kind of how it went with McConnell you know? and, Republi- and congressional Republicans. Whereas when the fir- first broke and they tried to reject him and hope he'd quit or something and he didn't. And then they had to come back around and be like, oh, yeah, it's fine. Because they they had to sort of stand by him. Right. And, yeah, they kind of wanted to seat, hold the seat. But then when he lost, I'm sure it was a huge, Thank huge God. exhale. Even if it's Doug Jones. He's moderate anyway. It's fine. Oh, well, of At course, least we yeah. don't have to have Roy Moore as a literal member of our party. Daily distraction. We don't have to own Saying him. and doing the th- not Not just his past, but you think Roy right. Moore would have gotten to the Senate and moderated? No, absolutely not. That was never his goal. Or that the goal. stories would have stopped coming out? No. It would have been a nightmare. Yes. And they and, know and, it. And, and, and we were not rooting for him to win because of that. Please Mm-mm. understand. No, that's the other like sort of conservative lie is like, oh, you want to saddle us with these awful people? And it's like, we do not want any of these <laughs> we people. We don't vote in your primaries. We assholes. don't. First of all, no. Your people. Joe Arpaio is running. No, he's not. Yes, he is. He's not going to run. He announced. He's raising money and then he's going to be like, I'm too old, I have family, whatever. He's not going to actually run. Oh, I think he's going to actually run. <laughs> I hope so. He, there's no criminal charge anymore. He's been pardoned by the president. Why not? That's true. That's true. We're living Trump's America. Trump yeah. won. Why can't Joe Arpaio? Uncle Joe. Because because I think Joe Arpaio, first of all, he's ancient. He wants to retire. <laughs> Secondly, he has huge mounting legal bills from all this. Yeah. That's why he wants to run. <laughs> to raise a shitload of money, not to uh-huh. actually be in the Senate. Was it Senator Cong or I think House, House. I think Senate? I, thought. I, I I don't know. Well, whatever. But anyway, I don't think he's going to actually. Run. Yeah, like we don't want these garbage people anywhere near the the halls of government. No, we're not liberals. Are not pushing for this. It's our nightmare to have these people anywhere near the government. Right. Yeah. Anyway, let's let's try to get back to current events because there's so much to cover. Uh, the Wall Street Journal <laughs> announced. That uh, Trump's oh, lawyers yeah, are trying to cut a deal with Mueller to like, we'll come talk to you if we can wrap <laughs> up the investigation quickly. We'll let Trump talk to you if you will conclude the Trump quote Trump portion of the investigation within 60 days. Uh, that's not how this works. That's not how this works <laughs> at all. <laughs> it just isn't. No. Um, cute. It's cute. Good try. Like, you know. But no, that's not how this works at all. No. At all. Um, no. So. No. Yeah. It, it's funny that they think they have a 
I don't know if they actually well, think they have a, a bargaining does, position does to, to do face? this. What is this I hope so. giant bruise uh, scratch thing on his face? I hope so. Looks like Jeff Sessions got punched in the face. That's not what the story is no, about. No, but... I think those are just liver spots. He's old. But anyway, um, yeah, uh, that's kind of funny. Uh, and uh, Trump is still grumpy in Sessions. Uh, Sessions. Should we pivot to Sessions suing California? Uh, yeah, the is I don't know. I don't know a lot about it, so you'll have to kind of tell me. I saw a political cartoon about it that you tweeted and. It was ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Like, ben, whatever his name is. Uh, well, Sessions is essentially he's he's trying to ironically use an Obama era decision that was one to protect immigrants by saying uh, by California sort of restricting what ICE can do and not cooperating with ICE enough oh, that yeah. they are limiting the powers of the federal government because all of a sudden Jeff Sessions and the Republicans are anti-state rights. <laughs> The world is literally yeah. upside down. Right. Fuck it's your state. Literally states, upside. Right. And Don't I'm like, no, my states government. and my cities and my counties are right. Are, yeah. It's right. hilariously so, so, awful. So Jerry Brown gets to play uh, George Wallace, sort of. Oh my god. In a bizarre world. And um, yeah, that's essentially what they're saying is is by by making it more difficult for ICE and the Border Patrol and whoever to do their jobs and rounding up illegal immigrants. You are impinging on the authority of the federal government. And, and, this and that came, is basic, basically the suit. Right. And this came on the heels of the Oakland mayor declaring that ICE was coming after immigrants. Uh-huh. Okay. It's an, I don't know where it's going to go. Look, he's not wrong. Uh, in certain ways, he's not, no. But morally, he's incorrect, obviously. Well, there are arcane questions of, um, you know, state laws and local laws. I can tell you that there's a difference between, let's say, Denver and Oakland. So Denver has been accused of being a sanctuary city, but only because our mayor, Hancock, has refused to allow or cooperate well so first of all when we have immigrants that are in detention right they they Mm -hmm. get arrested for a dui or whatever Mm -hmm. and ice finds out ice has done these things that they they request that we hold them past the time that they should be released so that they can come get them and sometimes 72 hours i think that's the and that was just upheld by the supreme court by the way it was challenged and upheld hold on i don't know anything about that but well, that's you. not no. So what Denver has said is it's not constitutional for us to hold someone that's taking away their liberty, right? To hold someone in jail longer than when they've been released. When mm-hmm. once you're done with your t- sentence, we can't just hold you arbitrarily because ICE wants to come pick you up. We're not going to do that. So then I said, "Okay, that's fair, but then you have to tell us like 48 hours before you're going to release them so we can come get them. And they said, we do not have to do that. We don't have the resources to do that. You're not paying us to do it. And we are not immigration officials, mm-hmm. right? We're not federal immigration officers. We are local correctional officers. So mm-hmm. we're not going to enforce federal law. That's way different than what California is doing, which is like aggressively protecting immigrants, which I laud and I think is brave and amazing, right? Oakland mayor comes out and says... On television, hey, just so you know, I got a heads up. ICE is coming to round up immigrants. Get yourself safe, mm-hmm. right? Pisses off Jeff Sessions, like 
hisses off ice to the point where now they're suing California. That's different. That is sort of the local government's impeding the efforts of a federal agency from doing its job. That's different from Denver, right? Yeah. So I think that they that he probably has a case. I think that they are amazing, and I love that they did that, California, and I want, I'm on their side. But I think legally, they're on a little bit of shaky ground here. Yeah, probably. But politically, you know, we're talking about looking at a midterm election where totally trying to drive up support from the base and Latino voters, and this won't help. I mean, I guess it might fire up their own base, but mm-hmm. um, you know. It comes out in the wash if you just want to be cynical politically, and we haven't even talked about DACA. And as soon as what one the of these people there. that ICE was trying to round up does something, literally anything wrong, then it'll be a political football, right? Well, well then this Oakland mayor allowed this person, alerted this person that ICE was after them, and then he ended up getting a DUI and hit a child. And, right? You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. not like. White American-born citizens don't get DUIs and hit children. And much higher rates. All the time. At much <laughs> right. higher rates, right? Right. That's fine, though. As soon as an immigrant does it, it's it's the worst thing that's ever happened. So anyway, I, I don't know. Well, moving on from there, in, in the second half, we're going to talk about North Korea and yeah. Trump's knee-jerk decision to just have a summit without warning anybody. But uh, real quick before that, uh, Florida. The <gasps> yeah. Florida House actually passed some gun legislation and the governor signed it. He did yesterday. And a lot of people, myself included, didn't think it was going to happen. And it was the tremendous pressure basically brought on by the Parkland kids. Yeah. Let's, let's make no mistake about it. It's these teenagers that uh, were there. Above the din of the NRA and the right wing blowhards saying that these kids should shut up and respect their elders and go home. They didn't. And they got real legislation through. Now it's In not, Florida. It's not perfect. It doesn't cover everything. It's just a start. But it's a significant start. It is more. It's very significant. And it is more robust than the federal guidelines and certainly and most states. We'll talk about what was actually passed. Okay, so they passed um it was already uh a law that to buy a handgun you had to be 21, but they, not an assault rifle. Right, not an assault rifle and not any long guns. Right. So they raised the minimum age of buying long guns to 21. Mm-hmm. Um they universal background checks I want to say was in there, right? It was something to Some improve with, those, Im- yeah. Improve background checks. Um, three day waiting period, three day waiting period to buy any gun, which is huge, Mm -hmm. especially for mass shootings. Right. Um, and then there's some bullshit about arming teachers. It's, it's, we can arm certain school officials, like principals and superintendents and librarians (laughs) on a elementary school principal (laughs) armed. And it's just, Oh, Oh, it's just horrifying. But like on a a voluntary basis with training. um, And then there's some mental health stuff in there. Uh, It's good stuff. I mean, for the most part, it's for Florida. It's kind of tremendous. Like it's, it's, I really did yeah, not Florida expect this to happen. Florida has an awful garbage governor and awful garbage legislature. Yeah. And look, the pressure that these kids put on by being a um, just uh, nonstop, you know, nonstop pressure, having a coherent message, being yeah. very focused and well-spoken yeah. and direct. Yeah. Uh, like 
these kids are doing everything I wish our party operatives were doing. I love them so And they're doing so it much. so much better. Oh my God. They're amazing. And, and I'm extrapolating. Like if these sort of suburban young kids in cities everywhere are this motivated and smart. And I don't know if it, it, it just so happens that this tragedy happened at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. And it just so happens the kids at this one high school in the country no. are this smart and focused and... No. intelligent and it, it's like but i'm extrapolating that i'm thinking the future looks pretty good for oh, progressives yeah. if this oh yeah if we can extrapolate this to oh, yeah millions and millions and millions i love this younger generation of kids everywhere I and mean, we talk a lot about generational politics on this podcast and i've often said like you know don't shit on the kids the kids are good well the kids are more intersectional than any other generation before the kids understand gender in a way that is so natural to them that we still struggle with the kids understand sexism yeah, and yeah. and mental health issues as not like a you know a, a badge of of horror but as something that everyone deals with i mean th- this well, generation about- of kids is fucking woke well let's talk about the social media aspect of that right yes we bitch about how the kids are always on their phones and they're always on the twitter and they're always mm-hmm. on the facebook but mm-hmm. what that allows them to do is connect yes in and exchange ideas and information in ways and yes, yes a lot of them use it to bully their peers or take selfies sure but you know they're doing more than that clearly they are and they it's allowing them to not feel like they're alone and you know, there's this argument about, well, phones isolate you from the outside world. And it's like, well, not really. No. Yeah. Maybe if you're 80 and you've never like it seems that way, but that's not how kids and even my generation to a large extent experience using social media or phones. It's a way for us to connect to people that I don't see every day. It, it's you know, it's it is a phenomenon that I think the sociolo- sociologists have to start looking at because yeah. they've only looked at the opposite. Like yes. I've been saying. Yeah. Now, well, you're not making eye contact let, and when you have dinner, you're not engaging. And it's like, no, I'm engaging with so many people. Now, let me go back to the early days of the Internet. Right. Mm-hmm. When we weren't, you know, trying to download porn. Yes, we were. Was, we were, you know, goal number one. Talking in chat rooms, yeah, and instant messenger with yeah. people across the country. Now, a lot of it, we're doing it to flirt or have cyber sex or yeah, it's, sex is always at the core of it, right? But we were making these connections and talking to people. I thought it was really neat that I could, you know, talk to people in England and Germany or and play chess with someone yeah. in Venezuela yeah. or yeah. Yeah. And then some creepy old man would be like, what are you wearing? And we right, would fuck right. with him. Or, but- I, or I got a, you know, a chick in Germany to show me your boobs. Like, oh, great. Right, right. But the point is, like, we're making these connections. So it, it is it is a tool where people can connect. And then in this information, in this uh, forum of ideas, which, by the way, the younger generation is dominating. If you want to see stark evidence of this, when these right wing blowhards tried <laughs> to mess with these kids. <laughs> On social media. Oh, it's so good. They, it, oh. it's just no. You're 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 bringing like sixty year old Uncle a Joe cap gun to a gunfight. Oh my god, sixty year old Uncle Joe was like, these kids are just paid actors and <laughs> and this kid's like, dude, if you saw my performance in Macbeth last yeah. year, you'd recognize that no one paid me to be the actor. Like they're so good and they're, they're so, so quick, quick it's and instantaneous they, because it's it's natural. Yeah. It's what they yeah. grew up with. It's, it's how nature. they understand. It is they they know how to navigate social media. Yes. Uncle Joe and Tommy Laren yelling with all the caps. Do not yelling with the caps about conspiracies, and the kids just cut through it with such like 
grace and wit. Yeah. That it's just beautiful to watch. Yeah, they, they it like the script is flipped. The the older people are acting like petulant kids yeah. and the kids are the, the kids rational are... adults putting them in their place. <laughs> exactly. It's amazing. It's amazing to watch. So anyway, I love them so much. I know, and I hope they stick with it and move on to other issues and I mean there's a long way to go in gun control, so I I know, but I but it's while, it's but. not it's not just those kids at that high school and this issue. Right. This generation of young people are extraordinary. And I think they're going to make waves. And uh, well, I, I am I excited you, to I, see I've, what they're going to do. I've been blown away. I, I was too. not expecting. Oh, yeah. I'm continually just floored by their maturity, their intelligence, their focus. Uh, they show they show messaging diligence and intelligence and discipline that our party elders do not. Correct. To be frankly honest. Yep. And if the DNC oh, was I'm smart, excited to welcome them the fuck to my party. Yeah. Come on. Yep. It's like Rhea Butcher, um, who's a comedian, said after they started talking, she was like, "I want to join whatever political party those kids in Florida just started. Like <laughs> whatever that is. Yeah. That's the political party I want. And I'm like, I would like to bring them in, please." Please come have leadership roles in my party. Yeah, I'm well. I would welcome that. I would welcome those kids and and really any of these young people with because they have this savvy about about social media and messaging and and connection and how to make an impact. I think just as a side note, really quick, part of what people always bitch about is like all they care about is shares and all they care about is likes and all Mm -hmm. they care. But what that really boils down to in a political sense is they're really fucking good at messaging. Mm-hmm. They really have had their goals to get as many likes as they can or shares or whatever has made them really adept at honing a message that is short and sweet and going to get shared a lot. And yep. that is a talent that our party could desperately use. We we need it. Need it. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, I'm going to do a little um, international relations explaining mm-hmm. about this whole Trump North Korea thing. And we'll get a little more into the tariff thing just from a political aspect because we got into the nuts and bolts of the economic realities with Arliss and Will the other night. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. So, so Trav. So, 
You got your degree in international relations prior to 9-11, yeah? Like right around 9-11, right? <laughs> my, my last semester was literally, the, the semester just started and 9-11 happened. Yeah. So you learned a lot about international relations prior to what we currently, or what we used to think of as like, Terrorism and and you yeah, know, non-state it, yeah. actors and it, that kind of it thing. It was all Cold War, right? Because that's what there was, right? And that seemed pretty useless for a while, but it seems pretty useful right about now, does it not? Well, not when it comes to North Korea. North Korea is their own weird animal, and, sure. and I'm going to get to that. But a lot of what you learned is going to be really useful in this next segment because well, in terms to- of containment, yes, yeah. and realist theory yeah. and things like that, yeah. So I want to talk about North Korea and what's going on because it's pretty fucking scary. So uh, potentially, it can be. Yeah, Trump said, "I'm going to meet with them." <laughs> okay, just I'm going to have a burger with Kim Jong Un. Right. Yeah, let me let me walk everybody through the intricacies of first to my the best of my understanding what has transpired in the last 24 to 48 hours and where this could possibly go and why Trump doing this the way he's doing or seems to be doing is probably not the best idea um, and is probably actually fairly risky and I think at the very best is just running in place and not accomplishing very much. Um, so as far as I understand a, a delegation from South Korea, including their defense minister was visiting the white house Mm -hmm. and they were reviewing a request, a recent request by Kim Jong-un to say, Hey, let's meet me, you know, me and you Trump and have a summit, which is not new or unique or original. He's he's been wanting to do this f- the whole time. His father wanted to. Um, they did have a summit during the Clinton years that did yield um, some positive things for a while before that all unraveled. Mm-hmm. Um, but the North Korean dictators, the line of the you know the Kim family, desperately wants this to happen and has for a long time and I'll get to why in a, in a minute. And this is the sort of thing where when this request happens, you, you sit down and you talk through the parameters and you go, if we wanted to do this, how would we approach it? You know, what, uh, how would we, uh, cage it? What would we say were the necessary things that the regime would have to do before we agreed to sit down and then there's a lot of advanced planning and thought and debate and conversation that we need to go into something like this for reasons I'm about to okay, get into. Good, because I want to talk about like I remember when George W. Bush was president and he was like, we're not talking to these people and we're not talking to those people. And there will be no like, what do they call them? Bilateral. Yeah. And, well, I'm not going to sit down with you. And I, and I D- remember Donald being, Trump saw the world. Not, no, I'm well, sorry. George W. Bush saw the world, especially post 9-11 as very black and white. And I think that was the limits of his intellectual capacity to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Um, but I remember as a liberal being frustrated by that and, and thinking like you're, well, it was frustrating we're not gonna and, talk it, and to it these was people counterproductive, even. but you explained to me in a very succinct way, which I'd like you to do for our listeners, if you don't mind, 
why it is that that would be a strategy to not to not sit down with just our president and just this dictator. Okay, we're still talking black and white and and that's what I'm that's the point I'm trying to make. It's not. Yeah. Um George W. Bush saw relations with everybody very black and white. In fact, he he espoused it very clearly. You're with us or you're against us. Right. And like there was very little gray area. Um, you call them like the axis of evil or something, right? Yeah, yeah. Like be- because very stark terms. Yes, because he got it in his head. <laughs> so the bad guys. The, the, there's good guys and there's good guys and there's bad guys. Right. Um, and that's how his foreign policy worked, and it didn't work out very well, obviously. Yeah. Now, I, and and what the media and a lot of people are trying to do, and are still trying to make everything black and white, and it's like, well, you do you engage with the North Koreans or not? The answer is. Yes, you engage with them under the right circumstances. Donald Trump is skipping over the whole right circumstances thing and just saying, fuck it, let's give it a shot. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to explain why that's fairly crazy mm-hmm. or at very least a bad idea. So they from from my understanding and more details may come out that change this a little bit um, in, in very Trump fashion. He's been doing a lot of this lately. Uh, basically. The South Korean delegation relayed this request that that Kim Jong-un and North Korea made to have the summit. And like they in just starting to talk about it and then ostensibly the next steps would be, well, what do you think of this? Is this something we should maybe plan to, you know, let's meet and talk into a strategy. Trump just said, OK, let's do it. Let's have a burger. And, and they're like, well, wait, 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 hold on, hold on. We're just saying this is just the request. We need to not let's do it. And he he like pressed a button on his desk ostensibly and called in somebody and said, set up the meeting. (laughs) Like he just he just skipped over all the formal steps you do in this situation. And here's why that is not necessarily the best idea. Now, a lot of people are looking at this in black and white and saying, "Okay, well, Trump's bellicose uh, attitude and his uh, leaking of this bloody nose strategy that a limited war with uh, on the Korean Peninsula might the idea of that might scare the crap out of the North Koreans so much that they finally come to the table and talk about demilitarization, denuclearization. Even if that's true, uh, they're not just going to give up the ghost without trying to play you and either buy more times or just screw you over and create more instability in the region. That's just not how they operate. Okay. They're not idiots. Right. They're, they are horrible, oppressive. It's a horrible, oppressive dictatorship. Yes. But they're not morons. And what you also said to me was, you know, when I was expressing my frustration back in the day about, about George W. Bush, you said one of the reasons that you don't just have bilateral talks with a dictator is because you, um, you legitimize them, well, right? I'm, I'm getting to that, right? Yeah. Here, here's the problem. Kim Jong-un, like Kim Jong-il before him and Kim Il-sung, um, are dictators of a very weird, isolated, oppressive regime, which has brought warfare and instability to the region and horribly oppressed and has committed and yeah. is, in the, is in the process of committing horrible human rights violations against its own people. Yes. And against 
visitors abroad. We have people in captivity right now. We're, Journalists. Do we forget uh, what was the kid's name? Otto Warm Warmberger. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it was a kid who was accused of something like stealing a poster, uh, uh, something. And kid winds up in a coma and delivered back to us on his deathbed, basically. And he died. And he died. Like, this is the kind of shit crazy, well, not crazy, but uh, oppressive, violent, dictatorial, tyrannical regimes do. And the reason you don't legitimize them and treat them like the way you would treat the leader of... France uh, or Germany France or, or Germany whatever. Germany or, mm-hmm. you know, and you could make an excuse that China's pretty damn oppressive, too. Yeah. But they're at least willing to engage in the world in these other ways. So we sort of overlook over that and we can have a debate over whether that's right or wrong. But North Korea is its own deal. And they've been wanting to have this legitimacy and sit down at the table with the big boys and say, see, we are a world superpower to be taking as seriously as the leaders of these other countries, as leaders of these other countries. Right. Now, you don't want to do that or you want to be very reticent about doing it. Because you're then legit, you're basically legitimizing all this, and now you're taking the pressure off to change their human rights practices, right? To change their practices of imprisoning journalists and visitors, to change, you know, state-run media. You're you're legitimizing it. Yeah, you're saying we recognize that you are a legitimate ruler of a country when we don't, in fact, agree that that's true. Exactly. Now, now there are circumstances where you're going to have to take that risk, or you're going to have to bite that bullet. In the pursuit of like lasting peace or, or stability, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like it, it, it's a trade off, but it's very, very complicated. You have to have a a robust and functioning State Department that which is we on don't. the which we don't, which is on the which is on the exact same page with your allies in the region, with your allies abroad, with the White House policy, and with you have uh, to have a coherent policy. Yeah, you have to have a coherent policy. A, we don't have that. And what what are the goals? What what is it exactly that he's trying to get this this dictator to do? We don't know. Right. What exactly is the plan? What is he trying to? Because there's no point in just having a hamburger, right? That just legitimizes him with no well, outcome well, for us. That's positive. Let, let's let's take a step goals. back and assume very broadly that the goal is to get North Korea to either freeze or roll back their nuclear program. Right. Yeah. Let's just assume that because that's what's been in the news lately. Right? Yes. Right. Right. Um, so again, here's the things that you need. You need a functioning and coherent plan that is in lockstep with your state department. We don't have that. We don't, we don't even have an ambassador to South Korea that's named the the envoy for North Korean relations recently retired and has not been replaced. We have a a state department that is basically in a lot of chaos and dysfunction and incredibly understaffed, incredibly understaffed and has cut foreign uh, sort of aid and, and research quite a bit. So that's problem A. Problem B, you need a coherent strategy from the White House. We don't have that. No. And so, we don't really have anyone in the White House that's qualified to do that, to to help to craft a coherent strategy about what are we trying to get out of this. There's no, like I said, there's no reason to have a goddamn hamburger with a guy if you're not going to get anything out of it. All that does is legitimize him and we get nothing. If you want to meet with the guy then there needs to be a reason. There needs to be a goal. There needs to be something that you are asking and and some negotiation needs to happen. But there needs to be a very specific and coherent goal and plan before you do it, right? Look, international relations 
is a complicated business. Yeah. And there is a reason that going all the way back to the George H. W. Bush administration, when we know North Korea was on their way to building a nuclear program, and then the Clinton administration, which did generate a deal that kind of fell apart later, and then the George W. Bush administration and then the Obama administration was not ever able to get this to the point where they could have this one-on-one summit. Um, there's There's a reason that never happened, and you can say... Okay, well, that's because they need that nobody cut through the red tape and the bullshit and they overthought everything. And you just need a good deal maker to sit down in the room and get it done. And hey, look, if that winds up being the case and and Donald Trump somehow does manage to bring some stability to the region, I I will be great. the first to say, great, good great. job. I, I'm kind of floored. You've you've rewritten international relations. That's amazing. But I am I am very, very skeptical that anything like that is going to happen. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Okay. So when we talk about the bilateral, like, one-on-one talks, the other option is, like, have the other partners in the region that are affected by policy in the room, which North Korea has always said no to. Why is it a good idea to have those people in the room and why do they resist it? Just as a basic question about like, I just, I, I, I can okay, guess well, the, at it, but I, if you have any insight, I would appreciate it. Well, that's another thing that Trump isn't taking into consideration, right? Um, North Korea is threatening our allies. They're not really threatening our borders. They may have intercontinental ballistic missile technology that in theory that that their missiles could reach us, but it's still very unclear if they actually have that capability. And half the time they launch things and they just fall to the ground in 10 feet. Well, well, the problem is they've gotten much better at it much, much faster than we expected. Okay. That, that's the issue. Okay. This is why everybody's kind of freaked out. Okay. Because two or three years ago, I would have said that's exactly right. And right right now, we're not there right, anymore. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're in a much more dangerous, scary place right so now. So we want those people in the room because they're directly affected by yes, this exactly. policy. So we don't want to alienate them or make them feel like they're not part of this Or not be on the process. same page and bring across a muddled message. Right. So when you talk about bilateral talks, it's never really bilateral. You work this out in advance with Japan, with South Korea. Poss- China. China. Probably China. Maybe even Russia has a hand in it, although that now that's very complicated. Yeah. Um, and and Trump seems to be kind of skipping all over that or setting it up and then working out those details later, which isn't a very good idea. Yeah. And, you know, they're scrambling. Um, they're scrambling this morning to try to make sense of it. And he's on the phone with Abe and Abe is like, WTF is happening and they're trying to reassure him and... South Korea just kind of the South Korean envoy had to try to well, get out in front of it and say, "Okay, yeah, there's they're the be ones talks, who announced it." They, that was the really, really fucking weird part for me. As I was sitting in the break room at work, and the South Korean envoy that was here came out like in the rose garden and said, "President Trump and Kim Jong Il have agreed to meet." That which was, was that so was weird. Kim Jong Un. Well, that was very smart because that's never happened though well it was smart not for us it was smart for as a south korean politician to do that because had you had the president or sarah sanders or mattis or somebody make that announcement with while the south koreans are here without that being announced to the south korean people for south koreans are going to be like what the fuck yeah 
And so they got out in front of it and said, okay, we better get out in front of this and we're going to announce it. We're going to announce it. Like we're sort of Involved have a handle on the or, situation. Right. Yeah, that's true. Okay. And that they makes had, sense. and they had to make a split decision that they probably were not expecting to do 10 minutes ago. That's how crazy and unpredictable this white house is. Okay. So getting back to my original question, which is we want those people in the room like George W. Bush, right? That was his thing. I'm not going to have like just bilateral talks. I want everybody that's affected by it in the room. That's because we don't want to come out of that room with you and me having had this conversation. And then Japan comes out and says, I don't agree with that. And this is what I want to do. And China comes out and says, this is what I want to do. And South Korea comes out and says, and then everything falls apart. Is that that the idea? That's part of it. Okay. And that's the fear, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Right. That that that's the great fear that that's exactly what Trump is doing and that's what he's going to do. Yeah. Um, now well, I have different fears than that, which we'll get to. But finish that sentence. So when we have those people in the room, it's better for us and worse for them. Why? Well, you, they may not necessarily be in the room for the bilateral talks, but you certainly are going to be in the room for with them a long time to get everything on the same page in terms of what you're going to present, what's acceptable, what. um you know, what the parameters of this deal that we could possibly make with everybody's buy-in. And why is that bad for North Korea? Why do they not want that? Because they pushed against it all throughout the W years. They were like, no, we're not going to do it. It's it's you and me and nobody else, or it's not going to happen. Because the region is complicated and everybody's got their own interests, right? But don't they want the deal that they make to also not be muddled by the surrounding countries are they afraid they're being ganged up on is that what it is like we're allies with china and allies with japan and allies with south korea and they're the the odd man out so we're going to get in there and we're no, going to bully them it's more or? complicated than that because as far as the north koreans are concerned there they have great concerns in from what the interests of japan and south korea especially are that go way beyond Um, slowing down or stopping their nuclear program. You're talking about financial interests. You're talking about oil interests. You're talking about um, trade. Um, North Korea is, is a, an oil starved country. Mm -hmm. I've repeated this over and over. One of the reasons they are so bullish on having this crack program to get their nuclear program up to speed is it was because if they had to fight a conventional war against South Korea and Japan, they'd have enough fuel to keep their, their lines, their supply lines going and their tanks and airplanes fueled for a couple weeks. That that's how bad the, the fuel situation is and why they're willing to pay Russia so much money to sneakily bring them oil hmm. and, and, and places like that. So they don't want those other people in the room and on the, at the negotiating table because there's much larger issues than the United States interests at stake. And they're afraid that, we're going to take those people's side and make their situation worse if they don't agree to our demands. So, for example, sort of, yeah. if if the South Koreans and the Japanese and the Chinese are in the room, they're going to bring up shit that the North Koreans are not really willing to negotiate about and that don't really have anything to do with the U.S., but because those people are our allies, we're going to side with them and potentially make more things on the table that they don't want on the table. Well, that's part of it. There's also the optics of it. If, if you have Trump and Kim and Abe and South Korean leader and Putin or one of his envoys and everybody in the room, then it's like a G8 summit. And that is not, that is not what they're gunning for. What they're gunning for 
is the pictures that you see of the president of the United States, whoever it is, it happens to be Trump now, sitting next to a world leader. And, and when that it. and when that happens mm. and the cameras snap, what you're saying is here are two world legitimate leaders. world leaders that are on the same level, essentially. Right. right. Peers. Right. Well, like the and same Kim, reason that he wouldn't shake Angela Merkel's hand, right? Yeah. Yeah. And Kim Jong-un okay. desperately wants to be seen, as did his father and grandfather before him, as a peer. Right. And as United a legitimate States. world leader. And exactly. And yeah. then again, I, okay. t- I tie that back to the reason that you don't want to instantly legitimize North Korea without being sure that you are going to have these proper concessions in place to even start talks. Right. And that is why the career diplomats that are left at the State Department and people who know better like Mattis and ostensibly McMaster, possibly Kelly, are probably trying to rein him in and trying to figure this out and now work backwards. Right. You don't usually do this. You, now you start work up to saying, mm-hmm. okay, we and have you make this, an announcement once you have yes, a plan. We have this plan in yeah. place and now we can possibly do these bilateral talks, which is, which is what the, his spokespeople were trying to do in light of this. They were like, no, 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 no. We are, we're going to, we're going to do this thing. And we might at some point have talks about talks. That's what Tillerson said. That's one of, one of his spokespeople said, and, and he just blew through that. Said, no, 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 we're doing it. Yeah, no, not even talks about talks. We're just gonna we're, have we're a fucking just, hamburger. We're just gonna go do it. Um, and and again, there, there's a reason for this. Now, if you think that the Obama administration, State Department, were a bunch of idiots, if you think the G.W. Bush, State Department, and finance and uh, international leaders were a bunch of of idiots, which Trump, it seems like he might then I could see where you might just go with this and say, I'm just a deal maker. Just get me in the room. Forget about all this other posturing and crap in international relations theory because it, it bores me and I don't want to pay attention to it. And I don't understand and it. I don't and understand I don't understand it too. and I don't care. And that's kind of where we are. And and I really fear that, that Trump is far from understanding the nuances of the situation. And here's the danger, right? Let's say that they have this hamburger summit and... <laughs> They can we start a, a hashtag? Sure, <laughs> hamburger summit. <laughs> they one of two things will happen, right? If they really allow, and and I think I don't think they're gonna let him just sit in a room alone with Kim and a translator. Well, this is what my concern is. Maybe you're gonna get to that. Go no, ahead. I, I just don't think they're gonna let him. They, they the last time that they let that happen was Reagan and Gorbachev, and they really regretted it. Yeah, his handlers. Um. And the last time Trump was alone in a room with leaders, it was Russia, and he was giving them fucking state secrets. So it's probably not a great idea. <laughs> well, yeah, they were just <laughs> at the White House for a photo op. But anyway, so one of the the fear is one of several things. The first fear is that he's going to agree to a terrible, awful deal that the South Koreans and Jap- Japanese are just not going to sign off on. Yeah. The fear number two, and this is sort of the bigger fear is that this this diploma this hamburger diplomacy is going to fail uh-huh. and then he's going to be even more frustrated and that's going to push us closer to a military confrontation yeah option 3 is some somehow he gets kim to agree to a freeze or rollback of the nuclear program with in exchange uh, for reducing sanctions right Somehow. My concern is, I think, going to option one, which is you put this man alone in a room or even not necessarily alone, but in a room with someone 
who understands, like they are obsessed, right? The North Koreans, we read this story a couple months ago, they're obsessed with American yeah. diplomacy and with Donald Trump and with understanding the nuances of this. And he's pretty easy to read, right? Yeah, so you get him in a room, the guy understands how to play him, right? Kim Jong-il. Kim Jong-un. Understands how to play him, right. Understands how to play him, flatters him a little bit, sucks his dick a little bit, metaphorically speaking, gets him to agree to some shit that we definitely don't want, that he doesn't understand why it's bad. We agree to that. I mean, that's well, my concern. Madison like Kelly and his... McMaster, and I think even John Bolton, if he comes on, God, God. Help us, would understand that and wouldn't let that happen. But let me roll back. Let, let's go back in time. Let's get in the way back machine and go all the way back to the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah. Kennedy was this this young guy. He was new. Khrushchev didn't really have a read on him, but sort of just assumed he's and especially after the Bay of Pigs fiasco, yeah. he thought he's Kennedy's going to be noob. he's going to be gun shy. Yeah. He's not willing to go through. I, I can he's push incompetent. This I can I can sneak this by him. Mm-hmm. And when Kennedy got his back up and said no, Khrushchev's had to back basically back down. That that is gross oversimplification, but that's sort of where we went. Khrushchev had to test Kennedy for a variety of reasons mm-hmm. that had to do a lot with um, domestic Russian politics and all kinds of other things. But basically he thought now's the time to test this new president mm-hmm. and see if we can do this sneaky thing, mm-hmm. which actually wound up being horribly dangerous. We were on the brink on of the nuclear brink of war, uh, war. Part of which because Castro was so uh, unpredictable. But anyway, I'm not going to get into the Cuban Missile Crisis. I could go on for hours and hours. I know. I know. <laughs> right. We have. <laughs> right. Move on from there. But uh, just before we go past that really quick, I want to say that what we know about the Cuban Missile Crisis was that Kennedy was new and he was young. And the people in and the room. And he did fuck up the Bay of Pigs. He did. But the people in the room during that Cuban Missile Crisis, people in the room are what saved us from nuclear war. No. <laughs> the people in the room almost pushed us into nuclear war and Kennedy had to hold them off. Again, don't get me started on the Cuban Missile Crisis. But wasn't there one guy that like had, I don't, we watched that movie, remember? What, 13 and Days? I think so. And I've watched lots of movies about the Cuban Missile Crisis. I know, Crisis. you're a little obsessed. Low-key obsessed. Um, well, Dean Acheson and, and... But there were like a couple and, of, and of moderate McCone voices against a like kind of a wall of no, we have to go Adelaide further. Adelaide Stevenson and Bobby Kennedy and one or two others maybe and everybody else wanted a war with Cuba. Yeah, and then there was like one guy who was like, <clears throat> I don't remember, a missile commander or something who like didn't send the message right away. And anyway, a lot of circumstances happened. But my point but no, 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 for the, any of that. We're getting way off topic here. The, my point, the point for that is that he does not have him. He doesn't in the room with Trump is no one of substance other than maybe the generals. But here's the point, right? My, the, the point in bringing that up was that Khrushchev gambled because he assumed some things, but he didn't really ever read on the new president. Unfortunately, our president now is very easy to read. He is mm-hmm. vain. Mm-hmm. He is impulsive. Mm-hmm. He is narcissistic. Mm-hmm. He is um, ill-tempered. He will turn on anybody, even the people in his own party or his own um, right-hand people like Sessions who... His he, own cabinet. His own cabinet. Picked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, 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 and he is very, very prone to personal flattery. Mm-hmm. The North Koreans understand this very well. Yes. And they are going to play him. That's exactly and what I was that saying. That's my problem. concern. Yeah. So, so let me let me create a scenario here. 
a scenario is possible if it's just Trump. Now, I, again, I don't think his handlers and his national security people are going to let this happen. But in the nightmare scenario where it just is Trump alone in a room with Kim and an interpreter and they're, and, the, and they're agreeing to something, I could very well see a scenario where Kim says, yes, we're going to we're going to do we're going to roll back this and that and do this and that with our nuclear program. And you don't have the very specific type parameters in there to actually mm-hmm. uh, ensure that ensure, that's ensure that that's uh-huh. the case. <coughs> like UN inspectors. Well, the, right. you don't trust the UN either. We don't either. They're not on our side. No. And I'm a good guy. You're a good guy. Look at this burger. It's delicious. You're We're, amazing. You trust me, right? We are We are negotiating here. We are serious it's business just people. You and the me. rest of the world doesn't understand. They don't understand They're us. not on our level. They don't understand us. They're not as great as we are. You're going to have a military parade? I have one once a week. <laughs> I get you, man. I get you. Yeah, exactly. You get me. Exactly. Let's right? just make this fucking deal. We don't need We don't need other people stepping in to make sure we're doing our jobs. You hate regulation. I hate <laughs> regulation. You don't want some nanny coming in and being like, are you sure you're doing that? No, you got th- We got this. Yeah. We're good, you, right? You, you get exactly where what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. And so, then he's like, you're right. You're right. So let, let let's pretend for a second. That that the one hypothesis is correct, that that Trump being as bellicose as he is and very casually talking about nuclear war on the Korean Peninsula has spooked the North Koreans, mm-hmm. which is possible because mm-hmm. they're rational, because they're rational. But that doesn't mean that they are then going to get in a room and capitulate. No, not even close. No, they're saying, OK, OK. Well, this has forced us to make an overture to come to the table. And if we're able to come to the table, I think we can host this guy mm-hmm. because he is a narcissistic man, baby. Yes. It's easy. He's a dotard and we're going to take advantage of that. And we're going to uh, there. You know, they are already training and and practicing and like they are obsessed with our national politics. So they've got the best people that have been watching and learning every possible thing they can about Trump. Look, these, these people <clears throat> explaining are... to this this dictator, here's exactly what you need to say. If he says this, you say this. They're practicing in rooms doing scenarios like I'm sure of it. These people in North Korea are devilish, devilishly and fiendishly smart and capable in spite of everything. And mm-hmm. That dichotomy is is horrible for the common citizens of North Korea. Yes. Who are oppressed and literally starving. Literally and being starving. tortured for dissent. And it's an awful place to live. Yes. Now, in spite of having this massively uneducated, impoverished, starving populace, they have a burgeoning nuclear program. Mm-hmm. In spite of the fact that 90 to 95% of the North Korean people don't own a personal computer, they have have hacking ability mm-hmm. that goes way beyond what we were expecting. And they're able to, to hack into a lot of our computer systems. Yeah. We don't totally know the extent of that, but we know they're able to do it. That is perversely impressive. These are not people yeah. to be trifled with or no. underestimated. No, they're just not. Nope. They're extraordinarily dangerous and they are extraordinarily smart. And they don't have much to lose. And their aims. Here's, here's the, impo- again, this why this stuff is complicated and we have the wrong man for the job in Washington. The North Korean regime, their ultimate goal is not war on the peninsula and it's not suicide. No. But if they were pushed far enough and backed into a corner, just like a cornered rat, they have the potential to strike. Yep. Now, what they want, what they want is the legitimacy 
to be seen as the peers with the great world powers and the legitimacy of being a world power like the United States or Russia or China. Right. Which is why they want the nukes, right? They don't want the nukes so they can nuke somebody. They want the nukes so that they have to be seen as a peer. Mostly, yeah. Of nuclear nations. And because they, again, they don't have the fuel and ability to... Conventional warfare. Uh, yeah, their conventional forces are really best for a defensive war at this point. They, they, they couldn't sustain a war on the peninsula. That's why I just I laugh so hard at the, the Red Dawn remake where the North Koreans invaded. Like they would scarcely have the fuel to get their their aircraft carriers and their jets over to our mainland. Right. And their troops are, you know, impoverished, starving. No, not the troops. They, they see that's that's so that's, that's why their people are starving. right. That's gotcha. another dichotomy. I'm sure their troops are very well fed and very well trained and very dangerous. It's just they, they don't have the ability to transport them um, and keep the supply lines going for very long in a conventional war. So they're dangerous. Yeah. For these reasons, they're very dangerous. Um, and I I just don't see many good outcomes from this. Now, had there been months and months and months and months of preparation and a coherent functioning State Department and a set of parameters that were built to say, we're going to enter these talks and this is our plan and this is what's acceptable and this is what isn't, then I might feel a little better about it in spite of Trump. But the way this is going down right now, it can end in in two things, in my opinion, in disaster and pushing us closer to war or just nothing and spinning our wheels. Yeah. So and and worsening relations with our allies. Yes. In the second. Yes. Right. Yes. So, yeah. So I hope I'm wrong. I hope so, too. Oh, my God. I would love it if he just went in there and then he like did everything we would want a president to do for our interests <laughs> and the, the interests of the right of the region. And this this little what, baby rocket man or whatever they call him uh, was yeah. like, you're right. And just stopped all the things. And then we opened it up to a democratic, like none of the, the just, it, well, that's the danger, right? Because I think where Trump is coming from now is that he thinks that his rhetoric has worked to get them to the table, which like the most basic tenets of that might be right. But then he's also probably thinking now we're in our, now we're in a position of strength and they're yeah. scared of us and we're going to dictate terms. And even if he went in with that idea, which is wrong, like you were, like you just explained a minute ago, like He's Kim so Jong-un will disarm him in five him. minutes yeah, by kissing his so ass. so easy to work him. Yeah. Like if you gave me five minutes alone with President Trump, <laughs> I'd have him be like a liberal. He'd be like literally he, kissing my feet. He'd be, he'd be donating all his money to Planned Parenthood. Oh man. He just, he'd be a progressive Democrat in five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Which kind of happens. The last person he talks to is usually what he goes with, uh-huh. right? So there's a chance that the North Korean talks might not even happen. Like he might just get talked out of it or lose focus or uh, real quick, though. It looks like we are going to have that military parade. <laughs> I know. That's uh, not going to be tanks because they don't want to chew up the chew streets. Up the fucking historic. Uh, but there's going to be a Banana Republic dictator style military parade that's on Veterans Day. On ve- when is that? I, don't I thought know. it was President's Day. No, Veterans Day. I forgot what that is. I'm sorry. Yeah. But that's anyway, happening. that'll Literally. go over really well. That's really good politically. $30 million. Dollars. talk them out of it. Oh, it's going to be more than that. Uh, that's the initial estimate. It was $30 million. Right. 
So uh, that about wraps it up. There's so much more to get to, but I really wanted to spend the most of the second half talking, giving you sort of a primer on the North Korean thing. Yeah. And this will and evolve. And I, you know, it's complicated and I don't have my degree in that. I have my degree in political science and we covered IR a little bit, but you know, these things are complicated and there's a reason that, you know, you pick good people who have experience doing these things. <laughs> To deal with other countries. Well, you go other... in with you go in with a plan, and right mm-hmm. now it doesn't look like there is one at all. It looks like we're we're trying yeah. to work backwards to now formulate a plan, which and is not how you do this. Can I say, like, I'm pretty happy that generals are helping to run the country most of the time, but not <laughs> when it comes to North Korea. Like the fact that the adults in the room are two yeah. generals is a little scary for me because I think that pushes us closer to war. Closing thoughts: Vanity Fair just published an article that says Trump is going to can Kelly and McMaster and Jared and Ivanka and bring in all new people, and I don't think that's actually going to. I don't either. Anyway, okay, that's it for us. Stay active, stay tuned, stay involved. Add a reverend to a Twitter irreverent testimony at gmail.com uh try to listen to us on free radio public i think that's the app because then we get paid a little bit and uh that's it i've been travis i'm rachel see you next week bye